Hey guys, has this lockdown made you lose track of your fitness goals? Are you starting your resolution for 2021 and you want to lose weight but need some help? Introducing my affordable workout plans for men and women. With packages starting at $5, this offer can't be beat. Go to RadicalLatino.com to find out more. Hey guys, do you have a product you want more eyes on? Advertise with the Radical Latino Show, where over 10K podcast downloads and the number 25 spot on the 55 All Latin Podcast list, you'll want your product heard on everyone's phones and cars. Go to RadicalLatino.com forward slash contacts and start advertising today. Playing the Radical Latino Show. Ladies and gentlemen, put your hands in the air for New York's very own. Latino is taking you to another level. Radical Latino, you're buffing it. Welcome back, my people. Welcome back to the Radical Latino Show. It's your host, the Radical Latino, aka number 17 on all Latin podcasts, aka Mr. Unsuable for the 26th week running. I hope everybody's doing great. I hope everybody's doing good. If I have a few listeners in Texas, like like my uh, like the homie Morena. Um, hopefully you guys are doing well with your electricity issues and your snow issue. You know what I'm saying? Apparently, global warming or global cooling, whichever one it is, uh, is showing they ass right now. So, uh, you know, shout out to everybody in Texas. Hopefully you guys get through it. You know, even though some of your politicians are saying, uh, peace, you know, it is what it is. Hopefully you guys get through it and just hold your head up you know what i'm saying that most definitely just hold your head right um also hope everybody is doing well with this whole uh you know uh c19 thing that's going on um hopefully y'all good in most places is open if not then you know just keep your head up you know i know it's about to be a year that everybody's been locked up or crazy and only things are limited but hopefully it'll be over very 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 soon you know what i'm saying very soon but anyway i hope everybody is doing well you know now a couple of updates as i always do a couple of updates um i as you guys might know if you're subscribed to my youtube channel right and i'm talking about for the people on my podcast you know what i'm saying y'all subscribe to my youtube channel if uh y'all should know I, I, I was doing some live streams, you know what I mean? Some random live streams, um, last minute. It's been getting some good reviews, you know, some good, uh, people were climbing into the room and stuff like that. So I, I want to give a big shout out to y'all, you know what I mean? A huge shout out to the people who support, who come in. And it was very interesting conversations that we were having. So definitely go to my YouTube channel and go check those live streams out. One of the live streams was uh me pretty much breaking down the the debate i don't even it should be called a debate the, the argument the discussion the the fight between andy and noel basically chivo and rancho you know so 
is the it was a fight that was going on and i was just reviewing it and to my surprise rancho came into the room and started you know breaking certain things down and stuff like that and i do commend him that he came in respectfully you know what i mean um for the most part my my views of him has not changed but um i did gain some respect for him you know because he actually went up in there respectfully and we had a wonderful discourse and me and you know we we were just basically just talking you know what i mean and nobody got heated nobody started you know cursing at each other because there's no point and something i pointed out in that um live stream that i was breaking down something that i pointed out was whenever you're in a debate or discussion or whatever the case is make your point make your argument prove your point once anybody either yourself or anybody else goes off script and start you know insults name calling and stuff you automatically lost if the other person does that you won if you do that you lost automatically because you have abandoned your argument and now you're resulting into low-hanging fruit ad hominem attacks that doesn't prove no your point whatsoever it turns into some junior high school um shouting match that basically you know it's basically doesn't even turn into something that everybody wants to hear it just turns into like some roasting session which is bullshit you know what i'm saying so um that was my point on it that i pointed out and the, uh, the thing is i'm glad that me and ancho you know uh we we stayed civil when um none of that stuff happened so you know big big uh big ups to him on that you know what i mean so go check that out also i'm gonna start doing again like i said some um some dating streams some dating live streams and stuff you know about relationships and stuff though so i want to see how you know you guys resonate to that you know hopefully you guys like it i'm not here out here you know what i'm saying wasting my time <laughs> you know what i mean um and also i'm gonna i'm gonna read some emails because i have been getting some emails on relationship advice and stuff like that. you know but anyway let me go real quickly and read some of the comments for episode 130. this is episode 131 if you want your comments read for next week go to youtube under this episode write your comment on what you think or on anything on the on the episode and i will read it next week so for episode 130 i got truth teacher here saying that's messed up um that you wouldn't allow dominican renaissance in your issues because um he's black oh all that <laughs> yo shut up uh, oh and the funny thing is i thought um i thought i was gonna get a lot of backlash for this type of uh in um you know episode you know not having other people in, in your business i thought i was gonna get a lot of backlash but apparently i didn't i didn't get it um, at all um some people were questioning me where which i had to like break basically break down uh, because i didn't make it vague but i pretty i pretty much explained it but not explained it 100 percent um and there was a lot of people that were saying well if that's the case that you um don't want you know uh you want to stay on your own or whatever why you talk about black issues so the thing is i talk about issues that affect black and latin people you know 
I haven't specifically, for what I can remember, spoken on black issues. And if I have spoken on black issues, it's just for a bigger picture and context, just so I could give my point of view. But the thing is, I've never said that other people cannot speak on our thing. I never said that other people um, aren't um, able to, you know, speak on our issues or whatever. The thing is, if we want to resolve our issues, we have to do it in-house and come up with a plan in-house and then open the doors for outside people to ally with us and help us achieve that solution. That's all I said. That's all I said. You know, and I and I think it's it's a it's a good strategy. But you guys will let me know. Um, Morena says, "Okay, I uh, I did not miss too much. You touched on some really good topics, especially the woman in Central Park. I do not believe anyone touched on that incident. You know, you should have a discussion on that. How Karens abuse the privilege and use it against brown and black people." on their effects on us absolutely absolutely also i'm working on a video on some something recently that happened um and just look out for that especially on this type of type of comment you know uh, about these karens out there you know what i'm saying um james says xtino from latino leaves a clickbait in which um for whoever shall abide by a new name does it not? I, okay, I really don't know. Um, Frank says, my man's use on fire. Respect. Shout out to you. Um, Stone says, Mextizo. No, Mextino. Mextino. Could be a new name for Latinxers. Maybe. 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 We gotta, we gotta really, uh, we gotta really come to, 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 we gotta really come into the play and see what, what's up. Terrell says, do you, Radical, do you have a Snapchat? No, I do not. I do not use Snapchat. Um, I'm, I'm even contemp, I'm, I'm not even thinking about being on TikTok, but I might be on TikTok. Who knows? Who knows? Let's, uh, let's see what happens. You know what I'm saying? Let's see what happens. Moreno, uh, Moreno says, wow, this guy uh, forgave a woman who could have made him another Hashtag absolutely. He's referring to the um, Central Park Karen that basically, you know, uh, got a I'm not saying got acquitted, but you know, she uh, nothing really happened. You know, nothing really happened, which I voiced my opinion, which is complete BS. You know, but anyway, so let me just move on with this interview, and I'm so excited and happy that I had a chance to speak with Rosa. Um, Rosa's been in the activist game for a long, long, long time. She's been in many moves, movements. She's brushed shoulders with many people. She's even she's even um, started a lot of organizations that helped a lot of black and Latin people together as a whole. So I'm very, very, very excited that I even had the opportunity to have an interview with her. There was a lot of people before I got in contact with her that was telling me to do an interview with her, do an interview with her, do an interview with her. And I got the opportunity to do one because 
one of my uh, friends attends the college that she went and did a seminar with, which was a virtual seminar. And only people who attended the college was able to attend the Zoom. So my friend registered me, gave me the link, and that's how I was able to get into that live and even ask some questions, which I was very honored into having done. So if you guys don't know who Rosa Clemente is, she's a former vice president, Green Party nominee, activist, journalist, writer, um, a Latina soldier, you know what I'm saying? And also an executive producer for the new movie that's on HBO Max right now, Judas and the Black Messiah. So she was there as, you know, as executive producer, she actually definitely put her input in the movie and put her, um, her stance on certain things that was accurate and certain things that wasn't accurate. And me and her basically speak on the things that happened throughout the movie. If it's, you know, what was changed or whatever the case is. Again, I'm very lucky to have her on. Also, she got on the scene before I forget. She got on the scene because she, um, wrote this, uh, letter that got it, that made it to, um, that made it to the, you know, nation of Islam called what is black and i think um you guys can find that online i'm gonna see if i could try to find it um and that's been um what she claims that hasn't been one of her amazing works but um wasn't one of her amazing writings for what she said from other interviews but um she but the 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 message still hit you know the message still hit and it was resonated so Without further ado, here is the interview with me and oh, wait, hold on before I even go. I'm sorry before I, a little small disclaimer. Um, I recorded this interview, um, on StreamYard, and I have no idea within maybe a couple of minutes, actually a couple of minutes into the intro of the interview, my mic. I don't know what either is StreamYard or my mic. I don't know what it is, but it went janky a little bit and I, I sound muffled. Uh, I try to fix it. Um, and I fix it as much as I can and you guys can still hear me, but I do sound somewhat muffled. So I just want to give you guys that disclaimer. Rosa sounds fine. 100% as always, but I do sound muffled in my speech. So with that being said, I just want to give you guys that disclaimer. Anyway, here's the interview with me and Rosa. Enjoy. Yo, what up, my people? It's your boy, the Radical Latino. Now I'm here with a very special, 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 special guest. This, my guest is a community organizer, independent journalist, activist, and was also the vice president running mate nominee for the Green party and i would like to introduce to you right now rosa clemente what's going on what's good thank you so much for having me i appreciate it yeah no no doubt no doubt no doubt you you are a very um prolific figure um in the activist uh realm and community you know and you've done a lot of work with 
you know, I'm trying to at least try to do, you know what I mean? But as long as we both help each other, you know, rise to the top, I think that's a little bit, that's, that's all that's, you know, the good, you know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, so Rosa, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, I'm a, I'm an organizer, independent journalist, producer. I ran for vice president on the Green Party ticket in 2008 and, and a professor. I've, I've been teaching in colleges on and off for a while as I finish getting my PhD and my doctorate this year. Mm, okay. And um, I know you grew up in the South Bronx. How was that? I grew up in the Bronx in the 70s and it was... Um, I mean, the Bronx was burning. It was, um, it, even today, there's poverty, but that was extreme poverty. Um, a lot of family, like a lot of family. I was five when the 1977, one of the black biggest, it's still the biggest blackout in New York City happened. And um, yeah, when I was like seven or eight, my mom moved us because she wanted us to just have better public schools. But to this day, all my family, a lot of my family still lives there. My dad still has his business there. Um, and, you know, I was also growing up as, as hip hop was being created through the lens mm. of my cousins who were a little older than me, you know, would take me to like roller skate parties and, and park jams and all of that. I was younger, so I probably didn't realize like, oh, this is happening. Although like a lot of folks in hip hop, the pioneers didn't think it would be where it's at today. You know, that yeah. would you can't, you know, anticipate something like that. But yeah, that's that's crazy that you actually were witnessing a birth of a yeah. history. Yeah, that's that's insane. Um, a lot of there's a lot of misconceptions about the birth of hip hop. Um, a lot of people say that um, Latin people had nothing to do with it. Other people say Latin people did have something to do with it. What's what's your take on that? Well, I mean, specifically, who, who the people who created the culture were Puerto Ricans, African-Americans, and a lot of Jamaican and, and folks from what was called the West Indies. So um, at the Latino tip, it was Puerto Ricans, you know? Yeah. Eventually, there would definitely be, like, all types of other hip-hop artists, um, Mexican, Cuban, Guatemalan, all that exists now. But the beginning of that, and the reason why was because at that time, New York City was also bankrupt. And there was a lot of gang um, violence, but also that was one of the epic peaks of Puerto Rican migration. Like, yeah, my parents migrated from Puerto Rico and New York. There were no other Latinos. I mean, there were some Cubans for sure. And I'm sure like a Me Mexican here and there, but like 94% were Puerto Ricans at that time. And we lived next to, and we're in community with African-American brothers and sisters. So like, that's part of what, why that culture was created from there. And as well, like the solidarity that we've always had, particularly as African-American Puerto Rican people in New York, in New York city. Yeah. 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 Um, I know you said that you grew up around the, the time when the Bronx was burning for, for those who don't know, that was a very uh, prolific time in New York city where, uh, landlords took advantage of the disenfranchised people um, and basically, you know, kicked them out. But I, I've, I've read some articles and statements where they will actually blame some of the residents for that burning. Is that is that true? Yeah, they did. But um, eventually, you know, 
what came to be known through like commissions and history and stuff was that they were burning the buildings to get their insurance. Yeah. And there's an actually really good documentary that came out um, last year uh, called Fire in the Bronx. And it's the entire history. I mean, it documents the history of these fires, but it's also documenting like the relationship with Puerto Rican and African-Americans. It's online yeah. at PBS. Like I tell folks really watch it to understand that. And also that at one point the fire um, police stopped going and stopped, stopped responding so that people really? did die because the landlord sets the building on fire. Y'all still living there. Yeah. And the fire people don't go because they're overworked and they're racist and yeah. all things together happen then in that time period. Yeah, which which is actually very interesting because that, that was an occurrence that was happening almost either on a daily or every week. Yeah. Really pay attention to it until what the I think was it the Yankee game that was televised. Um, and, and the camera the camera panned over and they saw a huge building burning. That's when it actually started getting some national attention. Yeah. Yeah. That, um, Oracle Cell was talked about that a lot. And there's another documentary, a Yankee documentary that talks about that night specifically when you could see the fires burning. Um, yeah. So. Wow. That's that's insane. And, and that that basically goes into. The things that you grew up in to the point where you started your activism work, what what made you start actually becoming an activist? What made you start catapulting yourself into that to the line of work? When I when I went to college, I was already um no, I wasn't. I'm sorry. When I went to college, I was really didn't know a lot of like my own history. I, I never had heard of the Black Panther Party or the Young Lords. And again, I grew up in New York. So, and where my mom moved us to was only 20 minutes, 30 minutes away from the Bronx. So like, I didn't grow up with none of that information. I really didn't understand why Puerto Rico was a colony. Yeah. Um, I just didn't know anything. I mean, I knew what I was as a Puerto Rican. Um, I was bilingual. Um, my my mom and dad made sure we knew about Puerto Rico, our roots, our family, our culture, and all that. So I was always like, no, knew I was Puerto Rican. But when I went to college, and there were in the early '90s, there were um, most of these campuses are still predominantly white. But I went to a public university, so it was definitely more like diverse in the way I ended up growing up when my mom moved us to the suburbs, like white folks, black folks, we were the first Latinos, you know, uh, I wasn't one of the few Latinos on college, but I definitely had a different way of dealing with white people. Yeah. Um, and part of this, cause I grew up around them and in this little village, we all knew each other. We all went to school together. We were all like cheerleaders, track, all that kind of stuff. Our families knew each other and stuff. So I didn't go to college like, um, treating white people, not treating white people, but like, I wasn't going to take any racism from white people. Cause I was like yeah. I around these people, like, I know what they are and you just need to shut them down, you know? And obviously there were other people that hadn't experienced that and were like, we don't want to start trouble and all this kind of stuff, you know? But then <clears throat> I became more politically aware by joining organizations and the one that I joined 
the Albany State University Black Alliance, like it changed my life. And I went and I became a member and then I ran for a position. Then I eventually became president of it. So I ended up being like the first woman and first Puerto Rican president of that. And by that time I had been politicized and like intellectually and all my professors, you know, which is, it's so weird that you don't get that experience now, 30 years later, all my, most of my professors were black women professors who were um, well known within black studies throughout the country. So they taught me, you know, and I kept taking classes and so I became politicized. And also I, I chose to take like leadership development classes. So by the time I graduated from SUNY Albany in 95, then I went to Cornell to get my master's in 96. And I wrote my thesis on the Young Lords Party and the COINTELPRO, the counterintelligence program. Mm. I finished, I worked in Albany for a couple of years. I was a legislative aide. That it's a reason why I know the ins and out of like New York state politics because I, I worked there for two years as two assembly people's different chief of staff. And then I went to New York City. I started teaching in, in middle school everything I wanted to do, but that was the beginning of New York City beginning to use, send police officers and be safety officers into schools. And I couldn't, I, I, I didn't like the way, I didn't like any of that. And I was like, I'm not trying to work somewhere where like our kids are criminalized. And at that mm. term, at the term prison, pr school to prison pipeline didn't even exist. Uh, so me and a lot of my friends became teachers right when all that was beginning. And all of us ended up leaving the, the public, the New York city public um, teacher system. Cause we were like, Yo, you can't, you're going to be arresting eight year olds when they have tantrums. Yeah. And that's what happened the last 20 years of public school education, whether LA, wow. Chicago, and New York. I don't want to have anything to do with that. So I became a community organizer around housing issues and then worked with my organization, Malcolm X Grassroots Movement, around political prisoners and then worked around um, the fight to get the United States out of Vieques. And always to and to this day do work around our political prisoners and prisoners of war. So for me, I had to go to college in New York State to find out who I was and then be involved. Um, because I don't call myself an activist. I'm like, I an activist is like you can sign a petition and not you're activated, but organizing meaning, yeah. you know what I'm saying? And also like the training we did, um, it, you know, a lot of it is based on self-defense too and self-determination and like, we're not going to be the ones that are going to let like police run up in our community and just start arresting people. So all those things I learned, you know, in a very short amount of time, like I would mm -hmm. say 90 to like 10 years later, I was full on in the movement in many different spaces like now today in a lot of different spaces mm. what what was the what was the most um eye-opening thing that made you actually start uh start this uh thing um start this movement or or start your your work i was uh, as i was a junior i had just been elected to be president of albany state university black alliance and a week later LA was burning. The Ronnie King rebellion happened. So the four office, there were four officers who brutally beat 
this brother Rodney King. It was the first time ever in the United States of America where you saw clear video footage of the police doing that. By then, everybody, I'm sure that was in movement work, the LAPD were just, and are just straight monsters and gangs and criminals, you know, the yeah. way they treat black people, especially in South Central LA. So like I woke up and it was like LA is burning. And, and you see a rebellion for like 12 days, you, you know, African-Americans and other, a lot of Latinos were tired of like white officers beating, getting away with murder sometimes using chokeholds, crazy stuff. And LA rebelled for like 11 days. So, and that's what you saw, 24 hour coverage around the LA rebellion. That was the first time I was like, okay, right, why am I even learning like about police brutality, you know, in, a, in, in school and then, you know, seeing um, LA rebel like that. It wasn't like I hadn't watched footage from the sixties because by then I have become a black studies. But in our generation at that time, the hip hop generation, that was a, a really big um, turning point, a, a big moment where we're like, oh, this whole thing is systemic, you know? Um, yeah. so, so that, and it was also the first time I ever led a march in a community. Cause we, even though we were at SUNY Albany, Albany, New York is just like pretty small. And uh, there's a very, um, large black community and Latino community here that are super repressed and oppressed. So that was that. And then, um, the one thing I, I, I remember from growing up around race was the Central Park Five. So mm -hmm. Donald Trump had taken out ads all over the state of New York, but a lot in the Bronx, Harlem, and even Westchester County, where he put the faces of them and he's like, they need to be executed. So like people now think they know because they saw When They See Us, which is phenomenal and everybody should watch it about the Central Park Five on Netflix, but you should see the documentaries because really them five boys, you know, they were boys the, the way they were being treated, having Donald Trump put on billboards, New York times ads, like execute them. And, and then I, when I got back to the city for a long time in 2000, the case kind of started coming up again because they were finding out that the police coerced these brothers into that. And then I think it was, I want to say 2002, 2003, here it comes out. The DNA is finally tested and it hit someone else, one person. And no. the lawyers for the Central Park Five went to visit him and he admitted he had done the rapes. Yeah. But even with that, the city, it took them another, what, 14 years to apologize to the brothers and just recently to get their, they won their lawsuit 15 years ago and they just finally got their, the, the money, you know? So wow. like, you know, and people know now the Central Park Five and, yeah. and thriving and, you know, the state would have, if the state of New York had the death penalty, they would have been executed. Yeah, yeah. And I it, um, was putting out, I'm sorry, was bring back the death penalty yeah. to quote monsters like this. Yeah, I, I have a small issue with the fact that when something happens, we get compensated, you know, with, with money. I think so, more than that needs to be done. 
some of the cops that were um, coerced in this whole situation need to face, uh, you know, some stiffer penalties. Um, other people need to get locked up and go to jail because things that happen to those to those five, you know, brothers is is insane. It's not something that should be done, you know. And I don't think no type of money will actually change the trauma that occurred to to them, you know. Yeah, it never changes that. But in doing work and our political, pres I mean, our police brutality work that we have done, um, we always center the families. And the families mm. eventually will get some type of lost money. That's just yeah. the way the state works. The state would rather give $40 million than to admit like two dead cops did this and two yeah. live people retired. Because one state, you know, so it's always a very personal decision. You know, like I, none of us, unless you've been through it, can understand that. And yeah. like Central Part 5, you know, even after they were out, they could never work. They were seen, and to this day, some people still think they raped her. And she thinks they raped her. Yeah. You know, so what, first, like, these, that, that's what the cities will pay hundreds of millions of dollars before they do that. So that's absolutely correct. The second part is, like, they deserve that and way more, and their families for the hell that, you know, got put through them. And that some of them, you can tell when they talk, you can tell some of them have been able to be like, okay, and move forward a little bit. They've all moved forward, but some of them, a couple of the brothers are very, to this day, traumatized as they should be. Yeah. You know, they all come out of it different. Like how they all came out of prison is yeah. different. One of, one of the brothers, Corey Wise, who was the one the police got, like basically because he was 17, they were telling him, like you about to go, you know, you might not even survive the trial. They were threatening yeah. him. Now what happened with Corey is the other brothers were still juvenile. So they served. So all of them served out their sentences in ju juvenile hall. But Corey then was moved to an adult prison at mm. 19. And what it is, is he was repeatedly raped and, 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 and beaten badly. People yeah. should... People need to watch when they see us because the brother who plays Corey Wise is Afro-Dominicano. And yeah. that's why he won all the awards. If people haven't seen it, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, the, and, on, and on this one, like, at one point, they're all together all the time, even in, in juvenile detention. Then all of a sudden, Corey is by himself and mm -hmm. ended up spending seven more years than they did. Mm. So you could see in his face when and he's been he's traumatized to this day. Yeah. He has no, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 a I tell all anybody, especially when I'm teaching, I'm like, you will not understand New York or this criminal injustice system unless you understand the Central Park five. Yeah, I um uh, I've been I've been a victim of you know police brutality, uh, of stop and yeah. frisk when that that was a thing. Uh -huh. um, multiple times, multiple times, I had uh, you know cops put their knee uh, on, on my back, not on my neck, but on my back, and you know just for walking home, I, you know, um, at a certain time. You know what I mean? Yeah. I've, I've I've experienced those type of uh, those type of things in the hand of cops. Um, I've uh, for the first time that I've ever been you know uh, touched inappropriately was from a female cop who 
thought that I had drugs under like in my in my underwear or whatever. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, th those are the type of things that I've went through and I've experienced. Do I see white people as evil? No, but I do see the white supremacist system as a corrupt system, as an evil system that made it possible for these people to do uh, such a, a horrific thing and and do it with impunity. You know, so I, I definitely I, you'll never forget it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Of, of course. So that's the reason why I, you know, I, I, I do the work that I that I do. Um, my main my main message is always for black and Latin unity, you know, and I do find a lot of re retractors. No, it's OK. I do find a lot of retractors, detractors when it comes to that type of talking point when I'm trying to unite black and Latin people. Um, a lot of the, the people that say we don't need to unite are, you know, either some white Latinos, you know what I'm saying? So but what are, what are your thoughts on the um, black and Latin unity? And what are your thoughts on how to strengthen that bond? Well, you know, yes, there, there uh, there's always inter-ethnic conflict, but I think the main thing is people don't read history. They don't under understand that black African-American folks, Afro, black, Latino folks, other Latino folks have, we've always been in solidarity with each other, period. Like it's real easy for people to be like, oh, Puerto Ricans don't get along and Dominicans don't get along or so-and-so is anti-black as opposed to really seeing the history and how we have always worked in solidarity together. Um, and that people have to understand that ethnicity and race and our national identity are even different for every Latino, you know? So the history shows we've always been in solidarity with each other. What we're seeing now, we, we are in solidarity with each other. But unfortunately, because we don't have a lot of, um, we don't really have a good media, mainstream media, um, Latinos are just never mentioned in the news unless it's like immigration or something yeah. um, criminal. And flip, now we're seeing obviously a more embrace uh, because of Black Lives Matter around like particularly African-American people, uh, particularly African-American women, which has been a long time coming. But I've always been in a space of being, well, as a Puerto Rican, I've, oh, I've been more accepted in like the black study spaces, the um, black organizing spaces, because I, I know who I am and what my identity is within a quote Latino con, con um, construct, whether it's an organization or an event or whatever, you know, a lot of times they'll reach out to me and be like, yeah, but can you not, you know, bring up race or, you know, <laughs> we know you're, you're black Puerto Rican, but you know, isn't it black and Puerto Rican? And I'm just like, you know what? I'm not the person for this event. You might need to find somebody else. And yeah. I do that way more and more. But for me, it has been black quote, what people think black spaces and black organizations, black media has always embraced me way yeah. more than, you know, Latina, Latinx media. And now because I've, I've been on the forefront of defining as black for like 20 years and now it's becoming real trendy to be like, yeah. oh, I'm Latina and, you know, I sell hair or I look at my um, my food or how I dress, and you're like that shit's all superficial and has nothing to do with black pop, like uh, yeah. the pop, you know. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, so that's just how I've always grown. Yeah, why, why, why do you think the, some Latin spaces are so uh, divisive? Because they have colonized minds. Like our lands were colonized and their minds mm. are colonized. And there's a lot, of, especially la like Latina women that are not necessarily like white or white passing, but a lot of these folks also wanna claim like their ancestor heritage of like rape and colonialism. So, you know, yeah. like I embrace my Africanness as much as I embrace my Europeanness. And it's like, why do you even have to say that? Like, why do you, like whiteness is always accepted. Yeah. Why, yeah. why do you want to talk? You're like one third indigenous, one third white, one third yeah. black, everybody in the world. Like, not nah, you just, you know, you got, your mind is colonized. You haven't done your own internal like revolution. Um, and who the hell in their right mind would ever accept their conqueror? It's, it's like telling women, Yo, after your rapist does his time, you know, you should find a way to have common ground. Yeah. Like, will we ever ask that of a woman or a man or non-binary? Yeah, that makes no sense. Yeah. Right? So it's this weird, like, we're the perfect people because we're all one third this. And it's like, no, that shit you're saying right there is anti-black. <laughs> like, yeah, 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 yeah. And then also in Latin America, which this is the thing. Look, I'm from the Caribbean. Puerto Rico is like, we're not even geopolitically um, part of Latin America, but we're in the Caribbean, right? Yeah. So Latin America is a whole different beast in itself because their whiteness is the goal. Mm. And the only way you get to whiteness in Latin America as an indigenous or African descendant that person, no, that may be for money. Oh uh, yeah, okay. See, you know what I'm saying? Like money. That's what makes you a lot Latin. Yeah, and also yeah, yeah, Latin yeah. none of these countries use any of these terms. Like there's yeah. no Latinx being used anywhere in Latin America or the yeah. Caribbean. We don't use people don't use Afro, they say they're African descendant. Some now yeah. are saying in Brazil they'll say they're negro, black. Even in yeah. Mexico there's a category for black and like 1.8 million Mexicans in the last Mexican census identified as black Mexican. Yeah. Um, I've seen, um, I've, I've been through different spaces and very different um, panels that either I joined or I was just, uh, you know, uh, a viewer of, and I've seen something very interesting happen, especially in the Latin community, where, like you said, they are embracing their colonizers. They're talking about, I am primarily from Spanish descent and all this other stuff because of their DNA breakdown of 62% European or something like that, right? Yeah, so, everybody's all doing that now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So so why do you think the romantic because there's there's a couple of people that romanticize uh spain and they say that it's a i'm gonna go into conspiracy theory here but they say the reason why we have vit vitriolic um vitriolic you know amnesty for spain is because we've been fed a liberal lie of what spain did which i know is 100 percent bs you know so why do you think they have to do that and um, romanticize Spain to the point where they have to justify why they calling themselves Hispanic? I mean, cause they see themselves as Spanish and white, you know, they see themselves as European, no matter what they look like. And that's what they, 
that's what they embrace. I mean, it's interesting because in Spain, and I've been there, right? Like when we start traveling there, like first you're like, this shit is white, especially Madrid. <laughs> yeah. Like then in, in Spain, they're not going to like accept like no in parts of Spain, like, oh, I'm yeah. Puerto Rican, I'm Dominican, I'm Mexican. To them, you're black. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, also that Spain itself, right? It's very racist. The, was part of slavery. Yeah. What it's Portugal, Spain, and and the British Empire. That's those are yeah. the the people three countries that um or British Empire meaning the islands too. But look, it's just you know it's it's hating yourself. It's like what Malcolm X said: "Who taught you to hate yourself?" Yeah, or colonizers. Yeah, that's what it comes down to. And then there are parts of Spain where the Roma people have been incredibly marginalized and are yeah. or Seville, where you begin to see darker Spaniards. Why? Because you're closer to the Mediterranean Sea. Why? Because you get on a boat and you can go past the Rock of Gibraltar to Morocco. Um, and also, there's been a lot of immigration, and that ends up in Seville. So it's just, you know, I, I always am like, well, why do you have to, you know, like, why do you have to affirm your whiteness? Like whiteness is affirmed everywhere. <laughs> you don't have to do that. It's okay. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. It's yeah, also like, logical. It's, I, don't, I don't know if you're aware of this. I just got aware of this pretty recently where uh, certain Spaniards, um, they have a name for Latin people and Caribbean Latin people. Uh, they have a name called uh, Sangre Sucia, or right. Dirty Blood. Um, I I wasn't actually I was not aware of that whatsoever, but um, later on I actually became aware of that. Um, and it's it's really funny how some of these other Latin people in some of these spaces um, ignore that. You know, they completely just ignore that, and um, they don't see no issue with that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, so let's talk about your work with. Um, oh, before I go into that, um, no, 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 let's just go 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 into it. Let's talk about your work with the movie Judith and the Black Messiah because you've uh, you were a researcher in that, right? Uh, associate producer. Associate yeah. producer. Okay, got it. And uh, you uh, did did you did you have a lot of input in the movie? I had a lot of input in, in terms of like a couple of things. Um, you know, I got a couple calls from the set about the young Lords and, you know, like what would they wear? How would they stand? That kind of stuff. But yeah. my work in it was, uh, I'm the person that connected the writer and director. His name is Shaka King, the co-writer and director. Cause there's on a, another co-writer called Will Burson, but Shaka, um, we know each other through this collective called Blackout that Ava DuVernay and Ryan Coogler and Charles Keene started. Um, people know, obviously, who Ryan and Ava are, but Charles Keene is um, pretty much like the hit maker right now in Hollywood. You know, he's yeah. one of the few Black agents back in the day, and now he has his own company, and it's committed to straight telling our stories. So Shaka reached out to me. I was like, yeah, I talked to Fred... All, like once in a while, I'll, I said, it's going to take a minute. I said, on top of it, it's going to take a minute because um, people have tried to make this movie in the past, like Antoine Fuqua and and mm. um, 
you know, a couple Denzel Washington's production company. Like it wasn't the first time quote Hollywood came knocking to uh, chairman Fred and his mother, comrade Okua. So, you know, it took me a couple months, but I, I, we got the meeting and from there it was like a three year journey, you know? So I've been part of the whole journey. Um, definitely helped like, in the way of, you know, just being like, yo, you know, y'all gonna, you're gonna have to earn and you're gonna have to earn their trust. There's nothing I can do about that. Y'all gonna have to earn it by talking to them, seeing them, you know, letting them know what's going on with the movie all the way to, I had suggested that Fred be on the set. And he was every day of the, of the film production. And I got to go to the set one time for two or three days. Um, and then post now the movie dropping, like we're all doing our interviews and all of that kind of stuff. So um, tr it, there's a curriculum coming out that I'm part of, like a, a curriculum for young, young folks, um, yeah. teachers and all that. Yeah, so I've been involved from the beginning, not on the, the production, like how a movie gets done. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah and realize, you know, okay, this is a big movie. There's like 200 staff people here. And it was a big movie. It was, it was a 40, maybe I would say $30 million movie. Yeah. You know? yeah. If anybody's seen it yet, as soon as you start watching it, you're like, oh, the visual, the cinematography, the director, yeah. like it's on point, you yeah. know? Yeah, so it's yeah. an incredible experience of many like affirmations and then people having major critiques on it. You know, which I'm like, bring it. And also like Chairman Fred is out here doing all the interviews um, and he has is some issues with it, you know, but it, really? I, I, but, well, yeah, I mean, of course he's going to, it's not, it's not a, even a biopic. It's not, I'm trying, it's not a documentary. It's not even a biopic. There are inspired by true events. Right. And Fred having, you know, disagreements means struggle and he struggled with the filmmakers or, you know, other people involved, you know, so, but ultimately he, him and mother comrade who green greenlit the movie. And when they were on the set, Fred would be like, yo, nah, that's not working. And him and Shaka would talk or then Shaka yeah. would be like, ah, yeah, I'm not going to take that note particularly, but we'll, let's see how we can fix this. So it was yeah. like labor of love and struggle, but in the best way, you know, yeah. best that's way. Because I, I I was I, I wanted to ask um in every movie there's obviously going to be some changes um is, is there any anything that you could give us there were some changes that actually didn't happen in real life but occurred in the movie no you know, no per se I mean pretty much everything you see I'm thinking I'm just like running the movie pretty much it's it's accurate or some a lot of it like the the last couple of scenes are based on police transcripts and stuff I mean um mother Kua didn't write poetry you know so yeah. there's a scene there and it's a beautiful scene and actually the sister Dominique who played the scene gave Shaka a note like what would it have been like if she was a poet too so um Dominique gave that note and that happened um okay. The young lords were represented. I, I wish they were more represented, but the Rainbow Coalition was representative. Yeah. And I people watching are like, wait, y'all, he was working with all groups and we're like, yeah. And that's why he got murdered. Um, Deputy that, Mark that shocked me. Yeah, that shocked me a lot when I saw that. Yeah. Deputy Mark Clark was also killed, and everybody is forgetting to mention him. Um, yeah. that he was there. 
things like that. You know, people, some people say that William O'Neill has more screen time and he does. Mm -hmm. um, this, also, the, this is showing the last 16 months of, of Chairman Fred. It doesn't show that at 14, that's he became an organizer with the NAACP, you yeah. know? And um, Shaka Keen, anybody could read any interviews. He's like, I kind of Trojan horse this, right? Like, yeah, William O'Neill is there because I don't think Hollywood would have made a movie all about Fred Hampton. And some people mm. disagree with him. And some people are like, nah, that could have happened. But, you know, seeing this whole process in three years, you're never just going to, you're not going to get a real 100% movie about Fred Hampton. Like, yeah need to start now doing documentaries or shorts or even animation on who Fred Hampton was, Chairman yeah. Mark Clark, um, who are elders like Chacha Jimenez is still alive as the founder of the Young Lords, you know, like why aren't we interviewing him or telling the stories of our elders, you know? So yeah, again, it's a movie. You yeah. know, I think it's great. Yeah. I am happy with it. And I got a, a couple comrades that are social media critics that are like, this all centers O'Neill. This is terrible. And I'm like, everybody, like the way we roll, um, yeah. I'm Fred rolls like this, bring on the critiques because we can take yeah. them on and be like, no, yeah. actually you're right about this. You yeah, know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't um, make your own about Fred Hampton and everybody yeah, yeah. else. <laughs> no, yeah, I get you. Like, because I, when, I, when I saw it, mind you, I saw it twice um, and... I, I when I saw your name on on the on the credits, I was like, oh, I know her. You know what <laughs> I mean? So, yeah, I so, can talk uh, about three years. So yeah. <laughs> so um, no, when I saw when I saw the movie, uh, there was one thing that I've noticed. Um, usually in these type of movies, again, they like to add little things here and there, but there was no white savior. Yeah, you know? that. Although the white agent had a little humanity to him. Yeah, 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 you could, yeah, yeah. You could. Should explain COINTELPRO, and 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 it's funny that Martin Sheen plays J. Edgar Hoover. People don't know Martin Sheen is like Mexican, which to me is always fascinating. Um, yeah. But he, I'm like, ah, they should show more of the evilness of, of him. Yeah. But yeah, there was no white savior. Yeah, for sure. yeah. That's Unfortunately, we all know how it ends. As yeah, well. it, it's a, it's it's very it's very telling with the whole Cointel Pro type mm -hmm. of style that they did the fa the false um the, the false news reports um the fa the false uh you know pamphlets that were um being yeah. put out so so these people can, yeah so these people can fight amongst themselves yeah it's insane it's insane that I didn't know how deep those type of things actually, you know, went on and actually were. And that William O'Neill wasn't the only snitch. All movements were infiltrated by that point. And currently now movements like Black Lives Matter and other, they're also infiltrated. Like yeah. I straight two people that I'm like, these dudes are snitches. And I don't uh... know what <laughs> you know, like, and I know it because I've been trained by my elders to spot that out. And I had yeah. a very, very real experience in two organizing spaces where one was definitely a snitch and didn't admit it, but then a second one was and admitted and actually wrote a book. Um, and I really? was, it was organizing in New Orleans after Hurricane 
um, Maria. And when I saw the FOIA request, like my name was in it and other ones, because he was he was working with the feds for, for years. Post hurricane, wow. he went to Minneapolis. And when I was running and um, we were in Minneapolis against, we were in the Twin Cities against the RNC, seven all white guys, seven white guys got arrested for planning some type of disruption at the RNC. And it was this, his name is Brandon Darby. Everybody should yeah. look up. He's admitted it. Um, he set them all up to be arrested oh. so that they could then in, institute like a part of martial law for all of us that were protesting the Republican national. Wow. And then in general, like I said, I, I compete people and I'll be, I'll tell younger people like, yo, be careful with this person. Like it doesn't make sense for somebody to disappear and then just show up a year later. Um, yeah. Because all, all, everything unfortunately gets infiltrated we, we don't have security. Like even when I was in Malcolm X grassroots movement, you can't just join like three other people have to know you. Hence mm. why Malcolm X grassroots movement has ever been infiltrated. Because mm. we all know each other, not just as organizers, but we know each other's families, where we come from and all that. And and to just make this like the most present day um, uh, connection, this white woman, Natasha Banan, who for 15 years pretended she was Puerto Rican. Um, mm. The story broke about six weeks ago where she put out a letter admitting, well, actually the article came out and breaks it all down. And it's like, she's a white girl who was born in Kansas. She, yeah. she up in Puerto Rican spaces for 15 years saying she was Boricua. The wow. minute it came out, what, what happened? What happened was that now there's mad dissension and paranoia for mad Boricuas that do work around independence, our island, or, you know, community work. So she accomplished her goal, which was to disrupt. Now, yeah. everybody I've shared this with, uh, other Boricuas, they're like, oh, I don't think she's a snitch. I was like, then why was she at two CIA leadership retreats? Mm. I, I found it and I posted that. And then people were like, what the hell? I'm like, Listen, mm. every infiltrator is not going to look like William O'Neill and be like giving out your plans. To, but there are those who disrupt things. And once you sow that disruption and chaos, then you hoodwink an entire community for 15 years. What There will be no consequences for you. You just can't ever show up. So go be the white girl that you can be now out of New York yeah. City. But also, she's a lawyer. So she wow. might have like a full-time lawyer that was working on issues around, around Latino issues. So, yeah. so she also violated New York State ethics, and she's probably going to lose her law license. And then there's some people that were like restorative justice. I'm like, that only works if someone's accountable for their behavior. She yeah. doubled down on why she did this and should not be like exiled from the Puerto Rican community. She's never yeah. really thought she was sorry. Yeah. I'm like, why would Damn. we want to give someone like, she's a grown 45 year old woman. She knows what exactly what she's been doing. And no, again, she, the feds aren't coming to our doors, but every space now, everybody is like cautious. And if, yeah, you're, yeah, yeah. if you're cautious and kind of start 
going down the road of paranoia, then you won't ever be in movement because you'll always mm. think like, I don't trust it. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, that's- yo, that's crazy. How do you prevent something like that? How do you peep it out? I mean, for me, again, because of my 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 training like that, like the last space I was in there like that, I, I knew and I, I walked away. And, you know, I knew right away. And again, that Brandon Darby, you the way to prevent it is organizations have to be more secure, like. You know, mad people will rep Black Lives Matter who who aren't the founders and um have yeah. nothing to do with BLM because it's out there, like it's out in the zeitgeist. So now people can use it. Um, depending on the organization, like I said, you gotta do like just straight community people's background checks. Like yeah. I told my girl, my one of my girls, we were talking about this. I'm like, yo, from now on, I need to see a birth certificate from Puerto Rico. Uh, <laughs> I was like, none of these chicks are getting in. <laughs> anyway, that's, yeah. that's hilarious. <laughs> that's funny. I need to know all all of it. I need to know your family, where you went yeah. to school. I want it yeah. all. I, I want I want all your friends, your mom's maiden name, everything. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna be part of organizing over like you know, where we're just not going to be marching, where we're doing like really organized efforts to like upend system. So I'm like, it also depends the space. I'll be like, yeah, nah, that person's suspect. I can't be, we can't be around them. Mm, Gotcha, 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 gotcha. Um, Before we start wrapping that up now, I got just a couple of more questions and then we could just uh, do our thing. Um, I've I've noticed that... um, Ever since I have gotten, in, um, you know, a little bit more woke, as some people will say, mm-hmm. I've noticed that the 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 term, you know, I don't like to use the word Hispanic, so I just use Latin or Latino, whatever. Um, you know, it's we are basically in a weird gray area when it comes to race. We're um, defined as an ethnicity, and I think I think I don't know if I've ever heard this before, but I kind of started. I started to say that we should start fighting to be classified as our, our own race. What do you think about, about that? No, because Latin is not a race. Like Latino is no, not. Of course. Yeah. yeah. No, no. I mean, I would, I would, I mean, I consider myself a black Puerto Rican. So yeah. I am black. Um, so yeah. the, the reason why I, I even brought that up and now, and let me just break it down is because there's a lot of Latin people that are confused they put themselves down as white, but they know themselves that they're not white. Other people put themselves down as black, but sometimes they get some backlash from people who actually see that they're putting themselves down as black. You know what I'm saying? So that's why I said, if we actually start classifying ourselves our own race, maybe that will stop. What What do you think about that? Yeah, no, I mean, I disagree. The main problem is that we're not, a, we're, we're not in the census. There's no category. Yeah. Black, like um, black outside of what um, American, uh, you know, origin. Yeah. You see, you can you can cross up Puerto Rico, but all the categories of quote all of us as Latinos, you can't do race. That's the mm. main problem. Get, now, if black Latino, Latino, Latinx were on the census, millions of us would easily identify with that. Yeah. 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 I mean, race is a social construct anyway. Why would we want to construct another race? 
Yeah. <laughs> no, no, that 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 is true. That that's the reason why I said like if we're making up races like black, white, and Asian, let's just start making everything up right now, you know. And uh I think that could have worked in the past, but the reality is, yeah, it's a construct, but it's a lived reality. If yeah. you're brown in this country, white people could do anything to you and get away with it. I mean, they can take over the government and get away with it. So, you know, yeah. we're you know, my identity is important, but it's really my politics. So, like, yeah. it's not like there's another black Puerto Rican and they're for statehood that I'm like, you're my, like, you're, you could be my comrade. No, you can't. I don't care if you're black Puerto Rican. I don't care, yeah. you know, how black you are, indigenous, if you support Trump. Uh, vice versa, like, with, with identity, it also is like, yeah, there are white people out here who actually sacrifice their lives to black struggle and yeah. are committed to that. You know, yeah. the main thing we've always told, you know, I don't do too many trainings like that anymore. But the one thing I would always tell my students who were white, I'm like, well, you don't need to be guilty about how you're born and the privileges you have. You have to do something about it. Mm. That's it. Like, you're going to be white and you're going to have privilege. Just like a light skinned Latina, if she doesn't open her mouth, have an accent a lot, she's <laughs> yeah. going to be seen as white until someone finds out that she's not. Not yeah. American white. And it's yeah. also the imageries. We we're not saying no, it's 2020, and the only Afro-Latino Latina um that we know of in mainstream media is Sunny Huston on the view, which is really good because she really does always talk about her identity and how it shaped her. But she's the only one, or like Tela Mundo and Univison still put out the most racist imagery around black people, and you're supposed to be talking to an entire quote, large Latino community. Well, yeah. all the whiteness on your your shows are not only erasing those of us who are black, it's erasing indigenous heritage languages yeah. and cultures. You know, yeah. so in 2021, we still struggle to even be talked about outside of statehood for Puerto Rico and immigration for Mexicanos and Central Americans. Mm. You know, have to talk about all the issues. And, and COVID to me is what I, I tell people now, like, listen, COVID is killing more Native Latino, Native American Latinos in general, African-Americans. Why is that? Because we don't trust mm -hmm. the system because all our people, all of our people at one time have been experimented on by the medical system. So that's, that's one. But also like at the end, yeah, white people are getting the vaccines more. They're white. The yeah. general society of like these 78 million, mostly white people, yes, black men voted, Latino men voted, but 53% of white women still went and voted for Trump and could have made him president again. It's just like people right now have to understand if you are not white, they're coming after us, period. Yeah. They've made that clear. Yeah. So like what identity so important. Identity is very much about, it's a very personal thing. But once you do that, what work are you doing outside of just talking about identity? Who are you aligning yourself politically? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. 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 Those are the things that you have to be asking yourself to like move forward and, and, and struggle, or you'll just yeah. get like, you know, I don't know who I am. Well, find out. And then do the work. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I agree. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Damn, I gotta go back to the drawing board on that one. Yeah. <laughs> no, I get you. Um, 
one one last question. What what do you think about so, uh, certain Latin people joining white supremacist groups like the Proud Boys? Oh, uh, you know. Oh yeah, there's black dudes in there. <laughs> there are, there's, there's women in there, right? Like, look, it bugs me out. I'm like, wait, why are you? You know what I'm saying? Like they hate themselves, they hate their family. They brought, they have bought into this entire white fantasy. Yeah, yeah, that's what it yeah. comes to. Like, you know, look, when Charlottesville, Charlottesville happened, I noticed one of the guys. I was like, yo, that dude's Latino. Like I, I, and then I, I, I kept watching him and it comes yeah. out, his name is Alex Ramos. He lived in Atlanta. Uh. <laughs> Beat this brother, started beating this brother in a parking lot. And yeah. then the other people came and they, they almost killed this brother by beating them to death while the, almost while the cops watch. As that was happening, that car ran through the crowd and killed how they're hired and, and wounded so many other people. And I wrote an article like I'm a black Puerto Rican. Alex Ramos is a Puerto Rican white supremacist. And I talked about that, you know, and it just comes down to like, you hate yourself, your people, your family. Um, and, and now you feel you're egregious as not just a Puerto Rican. I mean, really, why are all these groups predominantly men? Because those type of men are feeling that they their male identity is being taken from them. Yeah. You know, not only their white identity, their men. Oh no, now you can't just, you know, whistle at somebody, a woman. No, you can't be a sexual harasser. No, you are gonna have consequences if if you rape somebody. Like those type of men feel under attack like that too. Those type of men are like, what now you're queer? What is that? Yeah. What is your LGBTQ? Look, all those white men, which include Trump and his, all his people all the way down, they literally feel like somebody, we, the, uh, the rest of us are taking something away from them. Mm. That's what it's coming down to. And they don't like it and they feel yeah. under attack. But the way they attack is by straight trying to take over and lynch the vice president. And there's still, most of them aren't arrested. That's, you know, like people really yeah. have to understand. That's where these white boys and that mentality, and it's going to be here for a minute. Like Biden and Harris can't root that out. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, there, was, there, was a, there was a lot of, um, I don't know, this dissension from that whole uh, Biden and Harris type of thing. And, um, Couple, I, I feel a little, you know, so I got a little bad taste about Kamala Harris learning her uh, her history in California, but yeah. hopefully, yeah. hopefully, some some change does come. You know what I mean? Hopefully, yeah, some change does come. People. It won't come from them. Like yeah. last night, Joe Biden said in the town hall that he did on CNN with Anderson Cooper, a woman straight asked him, like, you know, young people with student loans are pushing for $50,000. Um, forgiveness, which is still not a lot when like, I'm one of those people that owe six figures to my student loan. And yeah. that's a norm. Like my generation, that's the norm. Younger generations got more smarter. Um, and hopefully there will be free community college. Right. So yeah. she asked him and he's like, oh no, that's never going to happen. It'll be lucky if 10,000 happens. Now with that, he was 100% honest, like, nah, 
So it's already like one of the things you promised around student loan. You're like very good with just being like, nope, that's never going to happen. And, you know, we'll have to figure something else out. Wow. Right. Second, they haven't stopped deportations. Yep. So just because they reinstituted re DACA, they still haven't stopped deportations. Like, what the hell? Yeah. You know? And then he also said in that town hall that he wants to fund police officers even more around the country. What? So now you want to even give police officers more. And that's what happens. In fact, Minneapolis City Council, for all the stuff that they talked last week, gave Minneapolis police $6 million so they could hire more police. So like mm -hmm. all the right, so like Minneapolis City Council, the next day they come out and they're marching with the people and they're saying this. And then less than a year after George Floyd, your response is to give police six million more dollars to hire more police. Yeah. We're yeah. not winning these fights. We're not. Mm -hmm. Like people think marching is win. We're not winning these fights. They're yeah. still killing us. They still want he wants to give police more federal authority. Yeah. And they promised they weren't going to do that because that's yeah. what crooked ass politicians do. They yeah. lie. I, I think um I think one solution should be all of us getting on code and stopping the economic growth. If we all that's get okay. that's the only way, right? Hell yeah, that's the only way. Look, right now, Amazon is paying millions of dollars to stop the workers in Arkansas in Alabama or Arkansas, Alabama. No, I'm sorry, from Arkansas for unionizing. They, mm -hmm. It's looking right now that this Arkansas distribution center is going to get unionized. Once that happens, all Amazon employees are going to be like, all right, now let's push for unionization, which is still not about equity. We live in a society where a trillionaire exists. And the only reason you can even be a billionaire or a trillionaire is because you've exploited probably millions of people. Right. Yeah. So how is Jeff Bezos a trillionaire? That's because we live in a capitalist system that uses and abuses labor and will make you work like a lot of our unfortunate Latino brothers and sisters in Iowa till you die. Yeah. For yeah. chicken. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So like all the only way all this gets solved is complete dismantling of all systems and a move towards a social um or a social economic order that is about equity, you yeah, know. I, I believe in that. I think, I think, um, I don't know if we're moving towards that direction, but I think we're getting close to it, you know, with cryptocurrency and stuff like that. So I, yeah. um, I, I believe, I, I believe we are moving in a uncentralized, uh, you know, part of our society. Um, I think we are. Just like how you were the witness of history of hip hop, I think we're becoming the witness of the history of centralized, you know, economics yeah. and and being more economically, uh, you know, uh, independent. Yeah, no, I mean that's what it's coming down to now. My brother explains to me what cryptocurrency is, but I also see how it's being used against Puerto Ricans and Puerto Rico, where yeah. these boys are like coming and snatching up land. But, you know, all that being said, like, the capitalist system is the problem, yeah. you know, and it's going to continue to be the problem. And if COVID doesn't show 
that at the end, this society will make you a sacrificial worker. You know, you're talking about a year where people haven't gotten no relief, 25 million pending evictions, and 5 million women have dropped out of the workforce. But yet they're like, let's keep this moving. Let's keep it going, right? Because it's just, it's that part of the matrix of being in all of that, being the labor, the yeah. labor. And also with automation coming the way, see, this is why Walmart and all of them are succeeding in what they really want to do, which is automate. We don't need a cash register person anymore. Yeah, Everybody yeah. their own stuff. Yeah. I, I think I, 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 yeah. we'll switch to delivery and make our our brick and border stores more um, smaller. That's what they're doing. Target's doing Amazon, right? And we've already fallen for it. We've a part of yeah. it because first we don't have a choice. Like it's COVID, but yeah. second, within COVID, all these corporations have made profits while. Yeah. 20, 30, maybe even 50 million people are at their rope, not only financially, but yeah. mentally, physically, all of that. I, I think I think um, you're right on that because if technology keeps on moving forward, like like uh, we see it now, everything's going to be automated. Nobody's going to have jobs. And we're mm-hmm. going to you know, go into this universal-based income. And let's be honest, who are going to be the ones getting the most and who are going to be the ones getting the least? You know, right. so we have to be very open and honest about that. But um, let's uh let's start wrapping it up right now, Rosa. Um, tell give the people one last affirmation um <laughs> that you want to give them, and uh, let and let them know where they also they can find you. Yeah, you know, I would just always tell people what I've been told. You just organize wherever you're at. Like you, there's always work to be done, no matter how small, large your community is. Even during COVID, what we have seen in humanity is that we will help each other when we have to. You know, we should always um, know that we can we can participate in our own local community in what way works for the person. Um, I am on Instagram as Black. Puerto Rican PhD. And then Facebook and Twitter is just straight Rosa Clemente. So that's how folks can find me, follow my work. Um, hit me up or my website, rosaclemente.net, not .com, but rosaclemente.net. All right. And with that, I'm a fair everybody farewell. Peace. Peace. Thank you for having me. All right. Now that was the interview with me and Rosa Clemente. Remember, all of her social media, her website will be in the link down below. Trust me, go follow her. Trust me, go subscribe. Even her YouTube channel. Trust me, go do that because she does bring in a lot of great knowledge to the game. Also, I don't know if you guys remember that um, Eva Longoria, um, actress who said what she said and kind of went, you know, all over the place. Uh, you know, Rosa interviewed her and they basically broke it down. Um, so go check that out, especially too. You know what I mean? So all of it will be down below. If you want to, uh, support the podcast, remember five stars on your favorite podcast app of your choice, please rate it five stars, write a good review and all of that. That definitely helps it out. Thumb up the video if this is on YouTube. Thumb up the video, comment, and subscribe. And if you want to support me monetarily, Cash App or on my website, RadicalLatino.com. And there is a donate 
button to donate you know what i'm saying with um if you guys want to follow me on instagram and twitter at the same name radical underscore latino underscore and i'm gonna leave you guys how i always do i rather die on my feet than live on my knees with that being said i'm gonna catch y'all later peace